you have your sermon notes in front of you, I encourage them to take them out. A number of things going on in your bulletin. Please read it very carefully. A truth project coming up this summer, starting June the 4th. It's just three hours at a time. And uh, so we encourage you to do that. Sign-up sheets are out there at the Ministry Center. center three hour, no child care provided, but that is a Monday. So if you want to uh, encourage that or enjoy that throughout the summer in a short span as far as this way, but three hours at a time, we encourage you to take advantage of that. Youth ministry projects all through the summer. That's what that table is out there for. A lot of asked, what is that table and what am I signing up for? Ask for the junior high, senior high youth for the summer in regards to summer activities. So please take advantage of that. VBS coming up, a lot of exciting things about that. So read it carefully so you won't miss out on a thing. We're winding down our spring series. Believe it or not, we will finish before summer arrives. And we're winding down our spring series on the Ten Commandments. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days listening to God as he wrote it down. The children of Israel wandered for a long time. We haven't talked that long or wondered that long, but we are winding it down over the next few weeks. I really appreciated Ted last Sunday morning taking one for me. I realized last Sunday that I've been speaking at you nonstop since the third week in January. Why didn't somebody come up to me and say, dude, sit down. We need to hear somebody else's voice. So I really appreciate Ted last Sunday. did a great job. And I totally agree with him. I love Mondays. Ten Commandments. This morning we're going to talk about the last two today and next Sunday morning and what I'm calling and entitling a call to character. Context come out of Exodus chapter 20, verses 16 and 17. Now today's verse, as you notice in the scripture, if you've been reading it ahead of time, says do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Simply put, don't lie. I want to put this within the context of character, personal integrity, and broaden it for a moment today specifically and talk about one of the foundational principles of truth and what that looks like. This is Memorial Day weekend. We are going to, as you saw in the clip this morning, I hope not only today but tomorrow, a number of years ago, Congress said that 3 o'clock in the afternoon would be a great opportunity for you to stop and pause and reflect on the sacrifices that have been made to make this country great. We are indeed free, but the price of that was high and very high. How many of you have had a loved one that has lost or given their life in service to our country. I know I have, and many of you here this morning, all over this audience, we are sitting in this place, we are enjoying the freedoms that God has given us because many were willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice. And this is a great nation. We are without a doubt one of the greatest nations on earth. We are also having, finding ourselves in situations where I have some deep concerns about what we've become and where we are specifically today in the arena of truth. According to Barna Research, 72% of Americans between 18 and 25 believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth. I'm here to tell you there is. It is the Word of God. But 72% of Americans believe there is no such thing as absolute truth. In the book Anatomy of a Lie, the author states that since 1951, the U.S. Naval Academy has had an honor code. Don't lie. Don't cheat don't steal. But through the years, it has become increasingly difficult to keep that code as students come from homes where it's no longer taught or even valued. Headline in a New York Times article a number of years ago said 91% of the people polled admitted they lie on a regular basis. 20% said they couldn't even get through the day without lying or cheating. 
few years ago, a student was kicked out of the Naval Academy in the worst heating scandal in Naval history, reportedly having been told by his parents to lie. One expelled cadet appealed to the Supreme Court, claiming that the Academy Honor Code was unfair. It is unfair to expect anyone not to lie or to cheat. Well, God says his followers don't. If you're going to be a God follower, he says, thou shall not lie. Proverbs 6, 17, 16 to 19 said there are six things God hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises evil plans, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and one who spreads strife among the brothers. Two of them, three maybe specifically, but two of them specifically deal with the issue of lying. Proverbs 12, 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are truthful. One of the reasons that lying is so despicable to God is that truth is a part of the character of God. Psalm 31, he is the God of truth. Exodus 34, he is abundant in truth. 2 Samuel 7, he is God and his words are true. Psalm 119, his words are true from the beginning to the end. John 1, Jesus was full of grace and truth. Jesus in John 14 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is more than saying true things. Being truthful speaks of authenticity. You are real. Reliability, I can count on you. Sincerity, I can trust you. And integrity, your whole life shows it. It's more than, than lies never passing your lips. I'm sure at one point or the other, all of us may have lied about something. But it speaks to Truth being a way of life, God followers are people who are real, people who tell the truth, who are genuine, who are trustworthy. There's someone you can always count on. No matter what anybody else out there may say or be like or you're unsure of, God's followers, God's people are people or ought to be people you can rely on, that you can trust to tell you the truth, who even if they were to lie, immediately recognize it and repent of it who even if they speak the truth may know that if you feel safe, you will feel safe around them more than anyone else. There are many ways to lie in your sermon notes. Slander, gossip, exaggerating, even those little white lies that most of us consider as harmless. Sometimes we find ourselves in that moral dilemma. Is it really important to, to say what I feel or what I sense or what I see about someone, I find myself trying to decide, do I tell them the truth even though I know it may hurt or do I just keep quiet to myself or do I kind of shade it? Now, let me help you a little bit. If you don't want to know the truth, don't ask. And that's a classic statement that we use all the time in, in staff and, and I find myself saying, if you don't want to know the truth, don't ask. And if they ask you, you ought to tell the truth. But I love Ephesians 4.15. If it's not your sermon notes, you ought to write it down because it says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Don't do it to hurt. Don't do it to tear down. It doesn't mean you have to offer truth, though unsolicited. Man, that is an ugly shirt. Your nose is huge. It doesn't mean that you have to offer your view of truth unsolicited. If you've ever been around kids, how many of you are teachers? Kids will always tell you the truth, and most of the time they will do it unsolicited, right? 
One of the reasons that, that I love being around students is I find so much about their family from them. They'll tell you the truth. How's things at home? Dad swore this morning. <laughs> Everything okay at home? Yep. Mom didn't make me breakfast again. You know, I mean, the list is endless of things that kids will tell you. They're always honest. They definitely tell you what they think. And you know, sometimes we lie to protect ourselves. Sometimes we embellish our, or embellish to enhance our image. We don't want people to think differently of us, and, and so we do it to draw attention to ourselves often, and many times we do it to enhance our image so that we look a little bit better, so people think maybe differently of us. Sometimes we lie to get revenge. And sometimes we lie to hurt someone's image. God says, don't. Don't lie. Be a person of truth. Be a person of integrity. Be one that others can always count on. One of the character traits of a Christ follower is that they are people who can be trusted to tell the truth. And even if it hurts, they're going to do it with love. They're going to do it with tenderness. They're not out to hurt. They're not out to mislead you in any way. It not only means don't lie generally. It specifically says don't bear false witness. Don't say something about someone that is not true. Don't gossip. Don't pass things along about someone that will hurt them. God says don't do that. My followers are, are, do everything they can to protect not to hurt. And whether it's somebody in the family of God, which is usually what he's referring to in this context, or whether someone beyond that, my followers try to do everything they can to protect, never to hurt, never to pass things along that we know are going to tear someone down, but do everything they possibly can to lift up, to encourage. There's enough of the opposite in the world around you. You know that. Most of the people in your sphere of influence are out there to lift you up, usually to pull you down. Most of the time to try to pull you to their level or at least what they think about themselves. God says, my children lift up. They encourage. They don't gossip. They don't pass things along that, that are untrue. And, and they certainly do, don't do anything that will hurt someone else. On a larger scale, it can also mean not only don't lie personally, but don't lie beyond that. Don't lie under oath. Don't commit perjury. You see, in our country, lying under oath is illegal. When our forefathers included in the oath, so help me God, in the courtroom proceedings, they knew that for justice to be had, there needed to be truth. Their assumption was this, that we believed there was a God that we would all stand before and give an account to, and knowing that, although you may lie to people, you would tell the truth under oath to God. You see in your notes, without truth, you can't have justice, and without justice, you cannot live or have a civilized society. That's why it's illegal to lie under, under oath. You also need to understand the implications and consequences for a people are always greater when those above them lie. True for a business, true for a church, it's true for a nation. Proverbs 29, it says that if a ruler gives to lies or is given to lies, all the servants around them will be wicked. If a person's way of life is lying, over time he'll accumulate people around him who are just like him. A number of years ago, what was so sad about President Bill Clinton lying under oath about his relationship with Monica Lewinsky was even in the midst of all the lies, he had a 70% approval rating. 
Now, granted, the poll didn't ask about the approval of his morality, but about his job performance. But you're left to wonder, with all that came out and all the stuff that came about, out about the lying, how could the ratings be so high? The answer could be found in Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can certainly turn there, but listen to me. Romans chapter 1, God describes what he sees in the world around him. And he says this, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips. Most of us wouldn't put gossips in the category of the people that we're about to look at here, but God does. They're slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways to do evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do them, but they approve of those who practice them. No other country on this planet, I believe, has had more opportunity to understand and hear the decrees of God than the United States of America. Do we all believe them is another story, but this nation is certainly aware of them. Our country was founded on Judeo-Christian values and ethics. Were they all Christians? No, they weren't. We've been told that for aid. Every one of those who signed the Declaration of Independence and on and on, they were all born-again believers. They weren't. But they did have a sense of right and wrong. They knew what was right. They knew what was wrong. And they built a foundation around that, knowing for a country to be great and to be what it needed to be, there had to be a foundational principle, a number of foundational principles, and one of those was truth. There's been a huge shift away from that. A 70% approval rating shouldn't surprise any of us. It's a mirror of what our nation, if we're not careful, has become. One editorial at the time said, Bill Clinton is a man for the culture because he represents what culture practices. We've all lied. We've all sinned. Scripture very clearly tells us that in Romans. The problem in Romans 1 is that sin and our acceptance of it has become the norm. And when that happens, God gives us over to what we've decided we're going to do. Romans goes on to say, therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Do what you want to do. Even their women exchanged natural relationships for unnatural, and men did for other men. doesn't mean that God's given up. It does mean that he's given us over to our desires until we come up empty. Like a parent who constantly is saying to his child, don't do that, and the child still does it when you finally say, all right, learn the hard way. I believe that God's desire is that as a nation we get such a belly full of our own way and find that it's not where it needs to be and it's never fulfilling, never satisfying, that we come up hungry and empty looking for real life and then to only find out that real life is only in him and only in his word. Our culture is in trouble. Even after September 11th or 9-11, there was only a three-month surge in church attendance. And everything went back to normal. Romans isn't saying that these sins that he described here are new. These sins have always existed. The issue in Romans is an acceptance of it, almost a normalization of it. In my generation, when I grew up in the 60s and 70s, we experienced the sexual revolution. Virtue, fidelity, and modesty were all thrown out the window. And the family has reaped the terrible consequences of that movement. Family values have been shattered. As a believer, one who ought to know better, if sin doesn't bother you anymore in your sermon notes, you're in trouble. 
whether it be any of the things we've mentioned over the last number of weeks, if it doesn't bother you anymore, you're in trouble. And as a nation, when sin doesn't bother us anymore, we're in deep, deep trouble. Those who don't know God aren't going to act godly. Putting the Ten Commandments up aren't going to make people moral. They're not going to make them believers. These words were written to people already called the children of God. It's when God's people live immorally. When they lie, when they cheat, when they steal, when they commit adultery, we're in trouble. And our nation is in trouble. And if that happens, there's one great answer. And shared for years and centuries in 2 Chronicles, if my people, God says, not to those people, not to those out there who don't know me, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. We're living, I believe, in a very, not only me, obviously a lot of people, in a very precarious time in our nation's history. This is never intended to be political, and it's not. It's truth. When the president of our United States, a few weeks ago, came out and supported gay marriage, many believe, obviously I'm one of them, it continued to continue to continue to cross the line. The Assembly of God put out a stance on their issue and their view of same-sex marriage president of our denomination, Gary Benedict, sent it out to us last week and said, feel free to take a very similar stance. It reads like this, written May 12, 2012, the Assembly of God in reaction to President Barack Obama's embracing of same-sex marriage is voicing its dissent and objection. According to the General Superintendent, Dr. Wood, the Assemblies of God is in complete disagreement with the president's new position and takes exception to the president's taking scripture out of context to defend his position. The Bible clearly teaches that marriage should be a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. There is no affirmation of homosexual, homosexual behavior found anywhere in Scripture. The Bible is replete with evidence that homosexual behavior is immoral and comes under the judgment of God. The president also referred to the Bible claiming Christ sacrificed himself for all mankind, which he obviously did. And the golden rule is one of the reasons for endorsing same-sex marriage. Although it's become popular to quote Scripture grossly out of context to serve a personal or political agenda, it doesn't change what God's Word clearly states. He says that in light of what Scripture said, Christians should not be surprised by individuals and groups twisting Scripture. And then he cites 2 Timothy, there will come a time when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to say and want to hear. In the Assembly of God, there are official positions, and our official position on homosexuality states this. We believe that in light of biblical revelation, that the growing cultural acceptance of homosexual identity and behavior, male and female, is symptomatic of a broader spiritual disorder that threatens the family, the government, and the church. It's important to understand that as Christians, to not underestimate the implications of a pro-homosexual, pro-abortion president, and what it means to the church. In no time in our nation have we ever needed to pray more for our political leaders and this country than we need to today. We need to remember this. 
that the darker things become in our culture at times, the more possible it could be for people experienced in the darkness to be really hungry and ready for some light, which is why God says over and over again that the people of God need to be living in such a way so that those who come empty come up looking, and they come looking to us because we have the answer. So in Peter, he said, live such godly lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God the day he visits us. Paul said in Philippians, therefore, my dear brethren, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, do so much more in my absence. Do everything without grumbling and complaining so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor in vain. We need to let people see the light of God in us. We are this generation's only hope. It's exactly what Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The kind of lifestyle God calls us to in these commandments And all of these commandments are very similar to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You have the truth. You have to live the truth. You have to draw people to the truth. Outside of that, they have no other place to go but run to darkness. The issue isn't only when people who don't know God act immorally. The bigger problem is when the people of God act immorally, that the world is in real trouble. Judgment will begin with the house of God. Which is why I've said from the beginning of this series, these commandments aren't just age-old principles that God put down somewhere 4,000 years ago that were nice for the people of God at that time. God simply says over and over again, no other gods before me. Be people of integrity who really do treat people with respect and honor life who do everything they possibly can to preserve life and not take the life of the innocent, who do everything they possibly can to be people who are people of integrity, who can be counted on to always tell the truth, do not steal, who do not lie, who do not look everywhere else around them for life, but find out that it's in God and God alone. There's no other place to look but in Him. You're the only platform I have outside of the life I live beyond these doors to the people around me. And so I just simply ask us as the people of God to be people of integrity, people who understand truth and live the truth, and then be people who know the truth and pray like crazy for a nation that is going so far away from truth that we may never be able to turn around again. I want to finish with a video clip this morning. You'll be surprised of its source. It's from the Catholic Church. It is powerful, extremely well done. And truth is truth, regardless of where it comes from. I want you to watch it. And then I'll come back up and end.
You and I both know the Republican Party is not going to save America. You and I both know the Democratic Party is not going to save America. Only God can save this nation, but God help us if we don't recognize the trouble we're in and what we're up against. And when it comes to life and the definition of marriage and freedom, and beyond that, we're in deep trouble as a nation if we don't recognize that. And the only ones who are really going to pray for this nation are the ones that believe that Almighty God is the only one that can intervene. So that's why God says, if my people will call on my name. Let's pray. Father, you are a God of truth. And when that truth gets twisted or violated or changed, it ceases to become truth. And so, Father, help us to be people who are always telling the truth. We don't twist it to our advantage. Don't misuse it but are people who use truth to lift up and encourage. I thank you for who we are as a people of God and what you've called us to. You've set the standard high, and you continue to raise the bar as you sent your son on this earth to look at not only how we live the life around us, but what it is that we do to influence those who are looking for life and answers. And so, Father, may we as a people of God be people who show and reveal the light to be people who others come to for answers and who live the truth. Lord, I love this land. There's not a moment goes by every time I lay down my passport that I'm not proud that I'm a citizen of the United States of America. And we have so much to be thankful for and so much to be grateful for compared to so many other so unbelievably morally corrupt nations around the earth. We're also facing, though, Father, some very difficult times. And so as the people of God, I pray that over the next few days and weeks and months that you will continue to find us on our face before you and doing everything we possibly can to be salt and light so that others see that truth is really truth and it cannot be changed and it cannot be shifted and it cannot be twisted. Father, I pray for our president. I lift him up before you. Your word very clearly tells us to do that. I lift him up before you. He knows your word. He's read it. For those in Congress, those in national leadership, political leadership around this land, locally and globally, but specifically in this nation, I just ask it in the name of Jesus that you will reveal yourself to them in incredibly powerful ways. And may as your word tells us, they come up so empty, they look for life and only then find that it's in you and you alone in your word. And so we lay ourselves before you. May we as a people of God be people of truth and people of integrity. That when others look at us, they can trust us because we know the one who's truth and we live it. Thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving it. We trust that we'll live it. Again, we lay our sons and daughters before you who are serving around this globe and others who tomorrow will have a very difficult time going through the day because as a, they as a family have sacrificed so unbelievably much for the freedoms that we so richly enjoy. I trust that you will lift them up in really powerful ways. For Judy and Joey and others who have in these last few years lost someone that they deeply love, 
serving in the Marines, serving in the Army, serving in the Air Force, Coast Guard, and so many other services around this country. I trust that you'll lift them up and draw them to yourselves, we pray. I thank you again for your glory and grace, and we can be recipients of it and givers of it. In the name of Jesus, we pray.